0: Yeah, the cheer goes up, baby. The cheer goes up as the two-year mask mandate on airplanes in airports is over. It's over. Down goes mask mandate. Yeah, over. Man, you know, the science said it didn't really matter. It took airlines a total of six hours to get rid of this, a 57 to 40 vote. Catherine Kimball Mazel, you are a goddess. You are the judge that said, no, no more mask mandates. The CDC overstepped its bounds and it's time to eliminate mask mandates. And I got to tell you, a nation cheered yesterday, it did, which is really weird, right? A nation cheered because we no longer have to wear masks. Now here's the deal. If you want to wear a mask, go wear a mask. Go wear a mask. Have a great time. Knock yourself out. And of course, I was on a flight and the and a mask mandate and I was trapped off. Now, what are you going to do? Now, I don't know what to tell you. The mask mandate is done and America cheers. Yes, it does. Two years. Now, here's the deal with it. When you walked into an airport, for those of you that don't fly a whole lot, you had to wear a mask. Like you could literally, and this is the ridiculousness of it all, you could literally, at a Colts game, sit right next to some slob eating nachos, cu- uh, coughing on you. Literally. At a Colts game on a Sunday, no mask, no vaccines, no nothing. Nothing. 60,000 people in Lucas Oil Stadium. And then you could get in your car from downtown Indianapolis, drive to the airport, walk in and immediately, somehow, some way, you had to put a mask on. <sighs> Science says that the air on airplanes is, is actually the safest you can get. Science says the way they circulate the air in airplanes is by far the best you can do. And it is the safest place to be. Yet somehow, some way, we held on to that notion. We held on. We held on. We held on. And we would not let go because, well, frankly, uh, it obviously was a political issue. It obviously was something that, you know, the folks, the loudest of us all, those kind of folks, were going to we're gonna talk about and wanted to demand and wanted to enforce. And now a brave judge who, by the way, um, I don't know if this is right or not, but people didn't want her as a judge. You know, because she was a Trump judge, she was no good, right? No good. I'll tell you what she is, Katherine Kimball Mizell, she's brave. I mean, you know the deal here. We all know the deal. When you go against something that the Libbies want so bad and they want to control you so much, you know what's coming? The hate, the death threats. It would not surprise me if Catherine Kimball Mazzell, and I've, I've experienced this, The most, <laughs> the most tolerant of us all are the nastiest of us all. They say they are tolerant. They say But I'm telling you what, go against him. And I will bet you money, and we will find this out probably by the end of the show. I have not seen it yet. But I'll guarantee you money, anything you want, that these folks, those folks, crazy folks, have come at this judge and hard. The American Bar Association wrote that she was not qualified for her position. Well, I don't know, man. Seems like she qualified to me. 34 years old, former Clarence Thomas Clerk appointed by Trump and confirmed by the Senate right before the lame duck session ended in 2020. I guarantee she's getting death threats tonight, and this has to stop. You know, everybody understands, those that talk the most do the least. Everybody understands that if you're, well, we are the most tolerant. We talk, no, 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 you're the nastiest. You're the meanest. You're the angriest. Hell, I had a guy, uh, a very Democratic uh, police officer want to shoot me in the head. I mean, anytime you go against the liberal mob, you know there's nastiness coming. And I would guarantee you that Catherine Kimball Mizell is under intense uh, security right now, frankly, because she went against the woke mobsters of the liberals. And I guarantee you something else, I guarantee you she's proud as hell. There's nothing better than standing up to idiots. There really isn't. There, there's absolutely nothing better. So the, Demo- the Republicans confirmed her, the American Bar Association denied her, and now she's a great American hero, and I don't care what you say. I don't care even a little bit what you say. Come at me all you'd like, because after the show, when I talk like this, people come at me. Come at me all you'd like, but she's a hero because the science does not say to wear masks on airplanes. The science, if you pay attention to any of it, says that math or excuse me, that airplanes are the safest place in terms of air quality because of the recirculation systems. Now, get mad all you want. Do your little dance. Say, I was on a plane and the mask mandate came down and now I'm sad. So what? You know what? Life's full of sadness. You're going to get sad once in a while. Things aren't going to go your way once in a while. And you know what? That's fine. No one, no, no one ever said this was going to be easy. I read the Bible every morning. They talk about, you know, different things you got to experience. They talk about how, you know, you got to go through some stuff. Keep the faith, baby. Just keep the faith. We've got journalists chasing. Maggie Astor. I can't stop thinking about people who may have chosen to book and board this flight based on a personal risk assessment that involved everyone being masked. And then mid-flight. When it was physically impossible to leave that element of their risk assessment was upended. Hey, what can I tell you? What can I tell you, Maggie? Uh, is what it is, Bep. Is what it is. Bep. Uh, Jeffrey Tubin, the Mad Jacker. The decision by the young Trump-appointed federal judge ending the mask mandate in travel shows the federal judiciary has turned into the Senate. Democratic and Republican judges live in a different world and rule differently. No, they don't. The Senate voted 57 to 40 to appeal it. Jeffrey Tubin, stay in your lane. <coughs> you know, it's pretty funny. I actually read a Jeffrey Tubin book, it was on the OJ trial. He's really interesting. And I actually liked Jeffrey Tubin until he became the Mad Jacker. Oh, man, what are you going to do? All right. Mask mandate over. I got to tell you, I love flying. I used to. I used to love flying. Now I hate flying. Three reasons. One, mask mandate. Oh, man, horrible. Two, rude people. Three, trash. Trash is everywhere. Walk through the airport. Actually, a naked woman walking through, a big old naked woman walking through the airport in Atlanta when I was there a few weeks ago. World's gotten weird. At least we're back to a little bit of civility, a little bit of sanity little bit, not a lot, not total, but at least we got a little bit of sanity. Speaking of insanity, now I don't understand this. I I don't. And you know, the one thing that always happens when you talk about Colin Kaepernick, unless you are 100%, 100% on his side, then you are a racist. I prefer to think of myself as a common sensist. I prefer to think of myself as someone who just kind of, I don't know, looks at something, uses common sense, and figures out a response. It does not make sense to me that Colin Kaepernick, who thinks that the modern NFL is, quote, modern slavery, wants to go back to being a slave. I do not understand this. We spoke on this a week or so ago. Colin Kaepernick is literally begging people to to, to hire him as a backup quarterback. He thinks the NFL now agrees with everything that he's done, and maybe they do. Certainly publicly, they have to, right? Because the NFL has overtaken David Stern and the NBA is America's woke league. But maybe that's true. I don't know. But to me, that reeks of a little bit of phoniness. Well, they believe now in my cause, so I'm willing to come back. All right. That's fine. But it doesn't... Maybe they agree with your cause. Maybe they think what you did was right. I don't know, and and neither do you. Kaepernick might. Kaepernick probably has letters from Roger Goodell so that Roger Goodell doesn't have anybody calling him an is saying that he's right. But here's where this is a bit disingenuous to me. Nobody willingly goes back to slavery if you truly believe it was modern slavery. Now, there are a lot of words that you could use, and when Kaepernick called the NFL, modern slavery. Those are strong words because people actually think that this guy's pretty smart. All you got to do is listen to him once. And if you've ever listened to really intelligent people, he ain't one of them. He's a guy that's trying really hard. And good for him. And look, I've said before and I'll say again, I respect that he blew up his own career by kneeling for something he believed in. I respect the sh- out of that. I do. I respect it. But the truth of the matter is, if you truly believe that the NFL is, quote, modern slavery, and you weren't just saying that for cause and effect, then there's no chance you want to go back to that. I don't care how much money you have or you don't have. There's a lot of money in martyrdom for Kaepernick. I mean, let's make no mistake. There's a lot of money in it for it. Nike has jumped on board big time. And I'm sure a lot of other companies can but here's the deal with money. When it's not steady, when it's not continually coming in, as Isaiah Thomas told Bob 99, what is it? 52% of your income as a professional athlete goes away. So the question does beg, you out of money? I have no idea whether he is or not, and it isn't a matter of Kaepernick. It's a matter to me of we've seen athletes in the past have to come back because they were out of money, many boxers. You know, Don King supposedly, allegedly, took a lot of money from a lot of boxers, and a lot of boxers had to go back in the ring and fight the fight again. Now, I don't know whether that's true in the case of Kaepernick. Actually, I have no idea. But this begging, throwing at halftime, uh, a bit of a circus at the Michigan spring game, good publicity, I would imagine, for Michigan football, I would think. I don't know, but it seems like it is. People have asked me, well, why'd he do that? Well, Harbaugh was his coach. They have a good relationship. But going around begging to get back into slavery doesn't make sense to me. Again, I'm just a common-sense guy. But there has to be, and I've said this before, an underlying reason. I'll give you the couple reasons. One, he's out of money. We already talked about that. Two, the martyrdom is wearing off. Uh, there are a lot of social justice folk that are uh, now becoming more and more popular. Kaepernick is a bit iconic and he should be. Uh, I, he should be. I mean, look, speaking as a as a white dude, you know, that's what I get called all the time, uh, I respect to live in hell out of what Kaepernick did in terms of kneeling. If you don't like it, I get it. If you're mad about it, I get it, I do, I get it. And he listened to a military guy before he did it, so it was a bit well thought out. I'm good with it. You wanna wear the cops' pig socks? That's where I lose you. If you're gonna walk that walk, then walk that walk. Don't all of a sudden turn around and say, well, you know, this hasn't worked out the way I want it. And maybe it has. Now, I don't know, but I do know this. There is an end game here, and it is either out of money, loss of interest from other sponsorships, loss of interest from, what's the right word, pending income. Folks are like, hey, Cap, man, you're yesterday's news. You got to get a third act here. That's how movies are made. I had a movie producer say, man, your life is pretty interesting, but you need a third act for this to become a book or a movie, and he's right. Cap needs a third act. Now imagine this. Let me go through this with you. Let's say that Kaepernick does get back in the NFL. Let's say that he goes to somewhere, San Diego. Let's say that Justin Herbert gets hurt. Let's say that Kaepernick leads him to a Super Bowl. Boom! We got a mainstream movie. That's what I think the bottom line is here. Man needs a third act. Football player gets adopted, I believe, ends up in the NFL, takes his team to the Super Bowl. Becomes a social justice warrior. There's already a documentary. But to have a full-featured movie? You got to have a third act. And this is the third act for Kaepernick. I'm telling you, it is. It is now that I think about this and I'm hearing myself talk, I like what I'm saying. I do. The third act. Boom. Angelo Pizzo. He wrote Hoosier's. Angelo's a friend of mine. We were talking about books and movies because some people have reached out to me to write a book on on me. And I'm like, Angelo, what do you think? He goes, you need a third act. Well, that's where Kaepernick comes in. I would bet you money. Think about about what's the right way to put it. The all-time move that Kaepernick would make here. From Super Bowl to out of the league, stay with me, from out of the league, to being the guy that stood up to the league, to now all of a sudden taking a team back to the Super Bowl. Man, that's an all-timer. I'm not going to lie. And that's where Kaepernick is right now. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. That's the message behind it. And I'm mad at him. Hey, look, you want to ask me? I'd do the same thing. I would. I would do the same thing. I would do exactly what Kaepernick's doing, and I think most of us would, wouldn't we? Wouldn't we want to put a third act, a crowning achievement? I think we would. I need one. I mean, I don't know what the hell it would be, but if you're going to be, if you're going to run in those type circles where books and movies are your thing, then guess what? You've got to have a third act, and that's what Kaepernick is doing. That's exactly what Kaepernick is doing trying to get accomplished, and I don't blame him. But don't be fooled by anything else. That's it. And good for him. We'll see if it happens. I have no idea whether it's going to happen or not. Uh, Apple taking over Sunday ticket. That deal is done. That deal has been done. It's $2.5 billion a year. Now think about that. Think about the money rolling in. $2.5 billion a year. Here's what uh, dish, Dish and DirecTV have already started doing. Let's be honest. The future isn't streaming. The future isn't having some big satellite on your roof, and when a storm comes, you can't watch the Super Bowl. I've had DirecTV, and I had DirecTV simply because it had the NFL ticket. is no better than anything else. No TV's better than anything. All the same channels. You got about 30 channels of good and about 50, 500 channels of crap. We all know this. Of course. So the future is in streaming, and DirecTV has streaming. Smart. You have to. But now, all of a sudden, the NFL's gotten smart. Wait a second. This is the Golden Goose. Sunday ticket. Why is it the Golden Goose? If you don't know what Sunday ticket is, you can watch every NFL game. Every Sunday. Every game. Out of market. Doesn't matter. Watch it. It is the Golden Goose, and you know what? It became even more golden when mobile online betting became a thing. Are you kidding me? That's why $2.5 billion is the cost, not for the whole entirety, not for a 10 year, five year, four year deal, a year. How about that? Now I, I've been told, and I have one friend that really knows he's involved in this. He told me, hey, look, the deal is done. And I think that's out there somewhere. So the deal is done. You're, <laughs> here's what I'm anxious to see, it's probably already happened. It's like the gold rush. Everybody running out to California, everybody's running to their phone to get rid of DirecTV. Like I said, DirecTV's fine, and maybe you can get Apple TV on DirecTV. I don't know. I left DirecTV four or five years ago. But I got to tell you, It's coming. Because we love us some Sunday ticket. We love a couple of things on Sunday. Church, everybody likes going to church on Sunday. Maybe a Sunday meal with the family. We like that. You know we like NFL Red Zone. You know we do. And you know we like us some Sunday ticket. Those two things. I'm curious. I'm going to find this out for you. This just just hit me. I live on a lake, and there's one bar restaurant on the lake. It's called Wolfie's. And Wolfie's is about four or five locations across Indiana. One on this lake, one on another lake, one down. T- I think there's three or four. They decided not to be, even be open on Sunday. Not even be open because Sunday ticket was too expensive. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, I would love to know whether or not. It must have been a good business decision because the guy who owns Wolfie is a freaking genius. So I'm sure what he did was right. But it is fascinating to me. Sunday ticket got too expensive for him. The business Sunday ticket is astronomical. We'll see where that goes. I don't know, but somehow, some way, you got to pay the $2.5 billion and then make a profit if you're Apple. But we all know that's happening. Um, Let's talk about some NBA playoffs. I was wrong. I was wrong about the Raptors and the Sixers. Sixers just beat them. Sixers just beat them down. You know what the Sixers do? Sixers just put too much pressure on you on every possession. It's just pressure. You got to guard every guy. And the fact that there's no Ben Simmons now for the Sixers, boy, does that help the Sixers. Because now by guarding every guy, it gives Embiid a little bit of room. And Joel Embiid is so good. I remember when Bill Self said that Joel Embiid's most talented, best player he's ever coached. And I thought, wow. Well, he wasn't wrong. He was not wrong at all. The shock of the night, the shock of the night, and this is where I swear to you, home court comes in. I swear to God, this is what makes the NBA playoffs so much fun. The Dallas Mavericks, without Luka Doncic at home, beat the Utah Jazz. Now, you can watch that game and you tell me the difference between Cameron Indoor Stadium and whatever the hell Dallas's arena is named. I'm telling you, it is absolutely incredible the crowds for these NBA playoff games. It was 110-104. And honest to God, I swear to you, uh, I'm watching the Jazz have the lead. Uh, They're going fine. And then boom, 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 and everybody gets going. And do you remember the name Jalen Brunson? Jalen Brunson, Kid who led Villanova to a national championship a few years ago. Jalen Brunson comes out of college from Villanova. Can't do this. Can't do that. nah, uh Nah. Doesn't fit the NBA game. And, of course, the obligatory great college player. But. And we all know, Sean Black, we all know that anything said before the but doesn't matter. Great college player, wonderful kid, incredible leader, but game doesn't fit the NBA. Huh? Well, his game fit the NBA last night to the tune of 41 points, eight rebounds, five assists, zero turnovers in a playoff game, made 15 of 25 shots. Basically what he did against one of the NBA's best defenses in the Utah Jazz is control the entire game. And I got to tell you, it was really fun to watch. Like, the term knows how to play sometimes gets overused in basketball. Well, he really knows how to play. Does he really, or does jump shots go in? Jalen Brunson, really, really, look at the crazy eyes I'm giving you right now. Jalen Brunson really, really, really knows how to play. Not sort of, kind of, maybe knows how to play. Really knows how to play. And I'll also tell you, I'm really happy for the kid because the kid is a winner. He was a winner in high school. He was a winner in college. Seth Greenberg and I used to argue all the time together against. We were on the same side I don't give a damn what you think the NBA is. This dude isn't Cassius Winston, who was a great college player, but too little. This dude isn't Ryan Archie Diacono. This dude is different. And I can't tell you how. And then, wait a second, on the defensive end, Mike Conley, who may have made more money as a guard than any player in the history of the NBA, 0 for 0 for 7. Mike Conley's a really good player, but Jalen Brunson was on him. I'm telling you, I don't think the Mavericks are going to win the series. They have a leg up right now because there is no more, you know, I mean, they they do. Well, they don't have a leg up because they lost the the first game. So, no, they're behind the eight ball, but they're not going to win the series. But you're going to love you some Jalen Brunson. And if you don't already love you some Jalen Brunson, well, that means you're not paying attention. And then lastly, can we show Boogie Cousins? Let's show Boogie Cousins being Boogie Cousins. There you go, Boogie. It's always the same guys. When you look, it's, hey look. In crime, it's always the same guys. He was arrested 72 times. In pain in the assery, it's always the same guy. Who kicks everybody? Grayson Allen. Who's always involved in stupid stuff? Boogie Cousins. It just is. I'm sorry. It's always the same people. Boogie Cousins has had no impact on basketball since I don't even know when. Uber talented guy, complete pain in the ass. So here he is in the middle of the playoffs where he has really no involvement other than I think he got a couple T's tees in game one, doing what Boogie Cousins does. What is that? Be a pain in the ass. It's literally that simple. And let me tell you, if you're going to be anything other than rock solid connected, you're not beating the Golden State Warriors. I'm sorry. Hell... I think Steph Curry only played like 22 minutes last night. Hell, Steph Curry, ah, we're good. Eh, don't worry about it. They got Boogie Cousins screwing their team up. Don't think for a second what I'm telling you isn't true. I'm telling you, Boogie Cousins can screw up a soup sandwich. Hell, man, you suck. Yes, I suck. I'm the worst. I am the worst. All I do is tell you what's up. You could close your eyes and go, all right, Uh, If I said you kick someone, cheap shot at someone, Grayson Allen, knocked in 10-3, Steph Curry, was a pain on the ass uh, on the bench, Boogie Cousins. It ain't hard. In fact, it's easy. It's the easiest thing going. Who doesn't know that's going to happen? So Boogie Cousins decides that he's got to act up because he's an elder statesman. To be an elder statesman, you got to have some younger success that people respect, not just be a younger big-time scorer. That's a pain in the ass everywhere he is. You know, you become Udonis Haslam. Udonis Haslam, elder statesman, handled his business like a pro for years, uh, big-time piece on championship teams. Now you're an elder statesman. Buggy Cousins, you're just a floundering idiot. That's all you are when you act like this. You're just a guy that no one respects, trying to be relevant, thinking that you actually have some impact. If if Boogie Cousins impacts your life, you're a fool. Uh, Other than if you're a kid. I don't know if he has kids or not, but other than if you're his kid. You're a damn fool. If you're an NBA player and you're going to be like Boogie, then you're an idiot. You're a complete idiot. That's all. You're a complete idiot. I don't know what else to tell you. It's as simple as I can make it. Boogie Cousins' influence should be zip. If Boogie Cousins were smart, he could probably still play. He ought to shut up and go get 20 in like 10 minutes and then still shut up and not try to impact games negatively. World is amazing. Uh, tonight we got fantastic. We're going to see if Trey Young can get going against the Heat. He absolutely could not get going against the Heat. He had no chance to get going against the Heat. The Heat came out. They blitzed him on ball screens, which means double him hard. Uh, Duncan Robinson came off the bench, dropped 27. We shall see. This is a must-win game for the young Grizzlies. The Grizzlies are at home. The Grizzlies are taking on the Wolves, and Anthony Edwards is a bad, bad man. He's a rookie. He's out of Georgia. He is a bad man. He is Magic Johnson-like. He has come right back into into the league and fit in perfectly like he's been there for I don't even know how long. My man fits in. I remember watching Magic. Magic fit in from day one with how he played. Looked comfortable. So does Anthony Edwards. Holy cow. Pelicans and the Suns, I anticipate this one to be a little closer. Suns got him by 11. They were up 22. Everybody that I know in the NBA, we're going to talk to Tim Doyle. He studies it. Everybody I know in the NBA says the Suns are the best team, but Doyle does not. He's going to join us coming up around 1030. I don't know, but I'm watching. The only bet I won last night, I broke even. I took OG Ananobe to get over 16 and a half or 17 and a half. And if he didn't have foul trouble, he may have just absolutely unloaded on it. But the news of the day before we go to break and, and, and we bring in Teddy Greenstein, mask mandates gone. Teddy G has a fantastic book. Hell, we might as well just go right into him. No, uh, Dylan, are we cool with that? All right. We're going to take a break. We'll get right back. All right. We'll come right back. We'll go right now. Where are we going? We got nowhere to go. I don't need to go to the bathroom. Look at the background on my boy. This is a professional, ladies and gentlemen. My man, Teddy Greenstein, wrote himself a book, Quarterback Dads. My friend, how are you?
1: Hey, man, I'm awesome. Uh Uh-oh.
0: Hey, G, i am awesome uh oh Teddy gi got you. Teddy G, I got you. I hear you loud and clear. Can you hear me? I got you now. I got you now. uh, Let's take a break. I want to get rid of this echo. Let's take a break. I want to get rid of this echo. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. My man, Teddy Greenstein, you know him, you love him. Long time, I'll say football writer, but he was much more than that with the Chicago Tribune. Now he is running the show at points, but, but, Teddy G, you wrote an incredibly interesting book that every single parent of any single athlete should should read. It's called Quarterback's Dad, Quarterback Dads. It's out now. Teddy G, how are you? Tell me, give me a brief synopsis before we get into on the book.
1: Well, first of all, my day has gotten a lot better now that I see that beautiful bald head of yours. And, yeah, I covered a lot of college football, but mainly the important thing was playing golf with you. I thought that was the the highlight of my tribute career. But so this book is out today, Quarterback Dads. And, right, principally, it's about um, youth sports and this relationship between fathers and sons where, you know, I think a lot of dads have the questions like, should I coach my son? Should I be the one? waking him up at six in the morning, or should he be self-motivated? What should we do about his social media? What if he's not starting midway through his sophomore year? Should we start to look at transferring? So I talked to a ton of different dads. So, um, you know, we've got the big name dads. We've got Archie Manning and Warren Moon and Chris and Phil Sims uh, and Kurt Warner. But then there are a ton of dads of quarterbacks that maybe most people haven't heard of. So like there's a kid out of Detroit named Bryce Underwood. And at age 14, he led his team to a state title at Ford Field, and his dad is Jay. And he is the classic quarterback dad because he should be watching in the stands, but he keeps getting pulled down to the sideline because he says he wants to be a volunteer coach at help. So it's this push and pull of how involved should a father be.
0: All right, to set this up, there, there is a massive market right now, correct, for young quarterbacks, and this can go really young, and I'm going to talk about a seven-year-old here with you in a minute, but their quarterbacks and their dads are kind of the big-time power brokers right now all through high school and college football, are they not?
1: Well, Double D, just look at Carl and Caleb Williams. So Caleb Williams is obviously a you know, five-star guy, one of the top few in his class, and he commits to Oklahoma. Why? Because his father has the stated goal of my kid is going to be the number one pick in the draft when he comes out. All right. So what does Caleb do? He starts on the bench. uh, He's behind Spencer Rattler. And then the Texas game comes. And Caleb Williams rips off his jersey and he's Superman and has an incredible game for Oklahoma and a great season. But then Lincoln Riley goes to USC. So what's the next move? Well, I can tell you, obviously, Caleb is technically the one who decided. But Carl is there giving him all the information. Carl is the one who's telling him, hey, if you're in L.A., your NIL money is going to be here. Whereas maybe if you're in Oklahoma, it's going to be here. And also, let's evaluate where the best chance is for you to be drafted number one. Who do you want to learn under? So, yes, I think for a while, maybe in basketball, it's the AAU coaches. Uh, Maybe when you were dealing with college basketball, maybe it was the moms who was deciding where the top kids were going to go. But in college football now with the quarterbacks, it is the quarterback dads who are deciding my kid's going to play in the Big 12 or the Big 10 or the ACC or wherever they go.
0: All right. How does this work and how young does it start?
1: Yeah, my man. So, uh, So Donovan Dooley is the one I'm working with here. So he's a wonderful quarterback trainer out of Detroit. And he told me all these crazy stories about these dads, some of which... He and I were having dinner last night, and I guess he held out on me. He was telling me a story of some dad who's watching his kid in a drill and finally says, If you don't complete that next pass, you're not going to have dinner tonight. So some of these dads can clearly be nuts. But w- the crazy example that is in the book is a guy named Jamal Doggett and his kid, Josiah. So the dad comes up to Donnie and says, uh, My kid needs some training, man, and he's really different. And Donnie said, Cool, how old is he? And the father goes, Oh, he's six. So he's six years old. There's already a three-minute highlights package of him on Facebook. Now, when he shows up for games, he's wearing a fake arm tattoo sleeve. He's got he's got the eye black, and he's got his own customized cleats. This is the, a six-year-old. And his dad is six saying, I old. think he's going to be in the NFL. Yeah, his dad says he's going to be in the NFL. Now, look, you can't hate on the dad too much because this is a guy who works the overnight shift at the Ford plant because he wants to make enough money. He wants to wake up with his kid. He wants to take him to school and be available for his, not only quarterback training, but speed training. So on the one hand, you admire it because too many dads aren't there. And on the other hand, you just want to say, man, can we dial it back a little bit? Can we dial it down from like a 12 to maybe an 8.5? I think that might be better.
0: So when kids like, when these kids are in high school, you know, you mentioned a 14-year-old that won at Ford Field. Um, how advanced are they? Like, like I know you deal with, you know, the guy that's a quarterback coach, but how important are these coaches? How important is this? Do you have to do this, I guess, is what I'm saying, to be an elite quarterback?
1: Yeah, Dan. I mean, I talked to so many dads, and they would tell stories. Like Phil Sims. I mean, you know, he grew up outside Louisville, And, I mean, he played baseball when it wasn't football season. He never lifted weights. He might have done a little bit of weightlifting in Moorhead State. But he basically would go three to six months without even touching a football. And it didn't hurt him. He ended up being a Super Bowl MVP and, and a great player. But nowadays, that's just not an option. Everything is so accelerated. And if you're not, you know, somewhat prominent probably by sixth or seventh grade, then you're not getting invited to camps. And then if you're not... In a spot in ninth or 10th grade to potentially win a high school job maybe you're not going to get looked at like there are you know there are examples of the other way where Mar- marcus mariota didn't you know develop until later and he ended up obviously being just fine but for most kids you do you want to start getting with a trainer probably sixth or seventh grade and you want to be in a good spot in your high school where you have a chance to win a job as a sophomore otherwise man no other position. I mean, it's not like linebacker where school takes schools take six of them. They commit to basically one quarterback, and if you're not that one, you gotta find another school.
0: Yeah, it's unbelievable. All right, what did Archie Manning tell you?
1: Well, Archie was incredible because he talked a bunch about how his kids have just totally different personalities. So Cooper is the cut-up. He's the hilarious one who would be on Tennessee's campus the night before. Uh, a Vols game and everybody thought he looked like Peyton so much they'd say hey Peyton why are you still out and Cooper would say oh we just got Kentucky tomorrow it's no big deal and then you got Peyton who's the most intense kid of all time who's showing up at the Little League game saying you gotta take extra batting practice you gotta take extra infield practice and Archie's job with him was to hold him back and restrain him and to say Peyton could you relax some kids just want to show up man go get a girlfriend go see a movie you're too intense (laughs) And then Eli was the quiet one. So Eli was the one where you didn't even know what he was thinking or whether he liked football or where he wanted to go to school. So I think the lesson there is, you know, even under the same roof, the same parents, kids have their own personalities and you can't treat them all the same. So some have to be pushed and some actually have to be restrained like Peyton was.
0: Teddy, but the Mannings are involved in this, right? Because the Manning camp – now, is that just for older kids? But they're involved in quarterback dads and big-time quarterbacks and all that stuff at the grass- well, grassroots level, are they not?
1: They are. So, I think it's is it Thibodeau, Louisiana, that they have the Manning Passing Academy. So, kids obviously go there. They want to spend time around the Mannings and around their other coaches. And Archie says he, he usually just takes um, a golf cart and drives around and he encounters all these dads who are like, My kid's gonna make it, my kid's gonna be this, he's gonna play division one, he's gonna be in the SEC. And Archie just tells him, You gotta believe, but he says football's like a yo yo, man. It's gonna be ups and downs. <laughs> so you just gotta, you gotta understand that. You can't cheat it and you just accept that.
0: Uh, Kurt Warner, who has a great story of his own, obviously, hell, it's a movie, but he's got a whole compound with this, right?
1: No, the, I opened the book with a scene. So right at this time last year, <laughs> Kurt, Kurt was nice enough to invite a bunch of quarterbacks and receivers to his complex. I mean, he basically lives at a resort. It's got everything. It's got all, you know, your gyms, and it's got a putting course, and it's got basketball, but mainly it's got a 50-yard football field in the backyard. So he's got a son, EJ, and, hey, that's great for EJ because during the pandemic, they were able to work out at an amazing place. The tricky thing about Kurt Warner's son is you're Kurt Warner's son. And if you're playing in Arizona, everybody expects you to live up to the old man who had a playoff game where he had more touchdown passes than incompletions, if you can believe that. So Kurt Warner, very, very intense. He he will go up to the grease board and spend 30 minutes diagramming one play. I was I was bored to tears watching some of this stuff. But you should see these 15 and 16-year-old quarterbacks who are fascinated by it. So Kurt is a pretty classic quarterback dad, man. I mean, he was active on social media saying EJ is underrated, EJ should get some looks. And it turns out he was right because a year ago at this time it looked like the kid was going to be FCS, and now he's got a bunch of division one offers.
0: It, you know, it is fascinating because, and again, I don't know how many people you talk to, but guys that have made it, it seems to me some of them would say, hey, look, I made it because I did play baseball. I did play basketball. I did I do agree. other things. And then there are guys that made
1: it because they're just, they got to go, right? Well, I would say this. The more successful the father, you know, the less enthusiastic he is as a quarterback dad or, or sort of the less domineering he is as a quarterback dad so I talked to you know guys like Brady Quinn and Joel Klatt um, and their message is this specialize play a bunch of sports play baseball but it's one thing to be a pitcher and that's cool because you're working on your arm but it's way better to be a second baseman or a shortstop dad. And the reason is you're making all those unusual throws. You're throwing from here. You're throwing from there. You're throwing over the top. You're doing what the modern quarterbacks do. You're doing what Patrick Mahomes does now when he plays, right? It's every different arm angle, and he's looking away at all this and that. So play baseball, play basketball, run track, play tag. Just go outside and play tag and avoid your friends because those are the skills you're going to need to be a great quarterback. But that
0: isn't the case with some of these dads. I mean, <clears throat> you had like you just mentioned somebody 7 years old. Do these kids that have these intense dads do they not play other sports? I mean, is it no baseball for the you know the 7-year-old? The is there no baseball for the 14-year-old? What's the balance on these on these dads that weren't great quarterbacks? Do they let their kids do anything other than
1: this? You know, there's one, uh, Trey Taylor. He's in the northern suburbs of Chicago. He's a seventh grader and just got his first college offer from the University of Maryland. Seventh grade. His dad was a successful football player. He scored a bunch of touchdowns at uh, at Eastern Illinois. And now with Trey, exactly, I asked those same questions. Is he doing anything else? Is he playing basketball? The answer is he's running track. He also does yoga. And then he has other interests like he designed his own logo, you know, the, the, the family called it sort of a pandemic project. So where you think it's kind of ridiculous where I met Trey when he was, I think 13 and, and the kids got his own logo. They say it was like a fun project and Hey, this kid's going to be a five-star recruit. There's going to be big marketing involved. And now with NIL, everything is accelerated. So to answer your question, I think some of them are football only. Hopefully the dads are at least giving those kids an option and saying, if you want to play another sport, you're more than welcome to.
0: Well, I mean, no quarterback dad conversation would be complete, Teddy G. Without the great Todd Marinovich and his father, Marv, you talked to Todd, correct?
1: I did, and it was not easy to get him. You know, Todd's had a rough go. He's been in and out of rehab, and it was a lot of text messages and phone calls, and then I finally got him. We talked for over an hour, and then he said, Hey, man, my phone's on 1%. I'll call you back. I said, great, and then I never heard from him again. But that's okay he's a he's a sweet guy I'm rooting my my butt off for him you know the interesting situation he has is that he has a son he's trying to get his son to play tennis or golf but of course his son not only wants to play football <laughs> his son wants to play quarterback so if you're Todd Marinovich what do you do so he doesn't know what to do he's like well I just wanted to play touch but he wants to play tackle and you have this dilemma as, as Todd Marinovich because of what he went through. He, he was robbed of a childhood. Marv Marinovich made, you know, his whole life was football, football, football. And as a result, Todd rebelled and, you know, found drugs and, and uh, had a really rough go and was out of the NFL quickly. So what do you do if you're Todd? Your kid wants to play. He's probably got great natural ability. And Todd knows he can teach him how to play quarterback. But do you do it? And that's what Todd's going through right now. Um, it's gonna be fascinating to see uh if the little Marinovich ends up making it.
0: Hey Teddy, how old is Marinovich's kid?
1: Uh it's Baron, and I think he's fourteen. But again, like a lot of the questions I was gonna ask in in the call ended up getting cut off. <laughs> so I have I have pretty good knowledge there. But here's one thing he told me. Like you know, everybody was obsessed with with Todd's unusual diet because he wasn't allowed to eat fast food. And when he would go to a birthday party, he would have to bring his own cake. You know what Todd said about that? He said, I actually love that my dad did that. I had a huge advantage over the other kids because I was eating healthy. So he said, For my kids, they eat very healthy. We go to Whole Foods, we load up. He's like, But I said, Is he allowed to have any fast food? And they said, Only in and out burger. So, mad respect for that in Southern <laughs> California. We see how those burgers and fries are made, and I, I think that's good that Todd is letting him have some, you know, some version of fast food and not being as uptight as Marv was with him.
0: Oh, man. Hey, Teddy G, how much of all this is motivated by money?
1: Mm, a lot. I think the principal motivation for these dads is a college scholarship. Now I know a little bit about that too. Like my daughters play soccer. Um, I don't, you know, I, I, they're not going to be playing. They're not going to be getting money. M- maybe best case is it helps them get into like a Division three school. But I understand that when you're writing all these checks for camps and travel and training, you have an end game, right? You want to be able to say, "Hey, my kid got a four year deal that would have been, you know, worth three hundred thousand dollars." So I think that is a big deal. And then for the upper level ones, because of NIL, name, image, and likeness, they're absolutely already thinking about logos and don't make any mistakes on social media, don't offend anybody, don't get into politics because you want to have the whole marketplace out there for you when your time is uh, time is ready.
0: You know, one of the things, people are overly critical. When I was a kid, like, I wrote down the number 10 because I wanted to be Bob Love, you know,
1: yeah. Forward
0: for the Bulls. I wanted to be either Jerry Sloan or Bob Love. Bob Love was my all-time idol, so I would write down, you know, Chicago Bulls starting lineup: Dockich and Love and Sloan and Van Leer. You know, but now I think with with Michael Jordan and Jumpman and Tiger Woods, writing a logo is almost a rite of passage. Now it's it's just what it's it's no different than me writing down in 1972 or whatever that I wanted to be. You know, Benny. I wanted to play in front of Benny the Bull running around the stadium. You know what I mean? It's, it's, that's no different, is it?
1: I totally do. I, I was going to be center field for the Yankees, so that was going to be my move. I, I, I felt just right. so short of that and became a sports right. writer. But, yes, the things that we <laughs> thought were so weird. I mean, I remember 20 years ago, Dan, like there would be a Heisman Trophy candidate and they would say, he has his own website. And we'd be like, oh, what a big deal that is. And then like a year later, it's like, <laughs> yeah, anybody can have their own website so now with designing something think about what you can do on your computer yeah so if you're trey taylor and you got this cool name and um you know start start to experiment with what it's going to look like the other example there is carl and caleb williams so when caleb was in high school they gave him the nickname superman he went to this prestigious jesuit school in dc called gonzaga and he led his team on some crazy comebacks. so they call him superman now He can't trademark Superman, but he certainly has some logos involved there where I think in July or August you're going to see, like, some massive deals for Caleb Williams now that he's at USC. Hey,
0: Teddy, are there – I don't know the answer to this. I think it's state by state. I know Ohio is is trying to get NIL deals, or at least it's going to come up in the legislature to get NIL deals. Are these kids in Chicago and the places you're talking about – that are in high school, are are, are are there stuff, is there NIL deals available to them?
1: It's a great question. I was talking to Donovan Dooley last night about that very thing, and I think it is state to state. So right now I think, yeah, we obviously, we know in college that it's the Wild West. It's one of those ask forgiveness, not permission, do whatever you can, the NCAA is not going to catch you. But in I believe in most high schools you can't. I, I was hearing – one of the podcasts that, that talked about certain states where it's more allowable than others. So kids might be moving from state to state for that. So uh, not an area of expertise here, but something that they're looking into.
0: Let me ask you this. What, what, what is, uh, and you may not know this, this isn't what the book is about, but like Caleb Williams, are we, we're talking millions here, right? Are we talking million dollars or more when he goes to SC or when this whole thing starts?
1: Yeah. Because I mean, Ohio state had that, that quarterback, uh, Quinn Ewers, who I believe he made a million dollars last year and he had two handoffs. So they're getting paid <laughs> seven <laughs> figures even before they play. Caleb Williams. We already know that he's a fantastic player who has a great social media presence, who is a delight to interview. So absolutely. I think it's going to be, you know, we're going to be talking pretty soon about 5 million bucks for a, uh, a big time college football player.
0: Teddy, quarterback dad. Let's let's go through this. What made you want to write this book? What spurred your interest in this?
1: Man, so I have an old friend, uh an old friend from Northwestern. And about two years ago, it's actually on July fourth, I get a text and I say, Hey, my son is working with this quarterback trainer at a Detroit Donovan Dooley. And Dooley has all these stories about quarterback dads. These guys are nuts. These guys are like the modern day stage moms. Uh, are you interested in in ghostwriting? No, I'm sorry. He said, Do you know somebody who wants to ghost write it? I said, You're looking at him, buddy. I've never written a book. We're talking about the most popular sport, we're talking about the most intriguing position. So, July of two years ago, I set out to start to do this. Um, to, you know, do the reporting and talk to Donovan Dooley. So one of the things, Dan, we have is a chapter with 12 quote-unquote bad quarterback dads and three good ones and those bad quarterback dads I name them they include stuff like the Wee dad who's always saying like yeah man we got an offer from Maryland but you know we're still considering Michigan State <laughs> or the reminiscing dad who is always saying like yeah man you know if it hadn't been for my knee injury I was going to be a high school All-American and then you also have good dads so I talk about you know Pep Hamilton and obviously Archie Manning is the ultimate quarterback dad and um, you know, Peyton Ramsey's dad. So there's so many, there are examples in this book of ones who probably need to tone it down and then ones who need to, you know, the ones who are the really good ones. And and I'll tell you one other thing Donovan Dooley did in one of his early camps. He handed his kids a bunch of note cards and he said, hey guys, this is just this is just for, you know, you, me. This is not for your parents to see. If you could tell your dad one thing, what would it be? And you should see what these kids wrote. They would write things like, you're killing my chances to get playing time. Just stop it. Or, dad, my arm is killing me and I can't tell you. So that inspired Donovan to go out and say, we got to do something about this. Because this is kind of an epidemic of quarterback dads who are, in some cases, just way too involved.
0: Teddy, I would argue, and I think you agree with this, that this is a book that can go for any sport. I've seen softball dads since my my wife and my stepdaughter. I've seen basketball dads that are freaking nuts baseball dads that are completely insane. I, this is a book while it is on quarterback that is an umbrella for all youth sports the way, way it looks to me.
1: 100 percent because especially now with Nil um, you know the prominent softball players or volleyball players or golfers are getting more attention at a younger age and they want to be in a position to market themselves when they're 18 years old and off to college. but exactly this stuff is universal in terms of you know having relationships with your kids. Um, should you hire a trainer um should you coach them and there, there are different thoughts on that you know should you be there on the sideline when your kid is is 10 11 12 years old or should you be handing them off like what archie Manning used to do and a lot of smart quarterback dads do is okay they'll volunteer coach but they're coaching the receivers they're coaching the defensive backs they're taking another position to sort of help their kid but not to be involved in that kid every day because I know this, you probably know this. Kids don't want to listen to you. They're going to listen to their coach. So the key is oh. you coach somebody else's kid. They're going to that dad is going to coach your kid and then you can communicate through them to get the message across. But you don't want to be the actual one who's coaching quarterbacks on your son's team. Sometimes it happens, like the Ramses in Cincinnati with Peyton and his dad and sometimes it's successful, but I think in most cases you want a little separation there. Ain't that right boy my dog just saw a dog
0: on TV <laughs> my dog just saw a dog on TV and apparently he's losing her mind It's the first time that's happened in this show. Having said all this Teddy I know you have I know you have daughters but if your son if you had a son and he showed potential I'm not saying he was an ex Kurt Warner or I'm just saying he was good enough that people would pay attention to him what would yep. you do?
1: So a few things, you know, and Archie gave advice on this. He thinks that um, flag football is awesome. So he thinks that there's really no reason to hit until maybe seventh, eighth grade, something like that. Now, look, I know dads who have the opposite view. Pat Fitzgerald, I wrote a story about Pat and his wife, Stacy, an amazing football mom. And their view is the earlier you learn to properly tackle, the better and more healthy it is for you. So if you're learning in the sixth grade to wrap up and keep your and keep your head up, that's going to help you, you know, once guys can really smash into each other and hit each other. Bottom line is I would absolutely let my son play football because I think it's more dangerous to have a kid who's sitting on the couch all day playing video games. I would much rather he, you know, be athletic, be up, make friends, listen to his coaches, learn the game and all the great, you know, attributes of football than to just sit on his ass all day and be lazy. That, to me, is the most dangerous thing of all.
0: Boy, that's for my dad. My dad was a, teach, a teacher slash principal in Gary. And uh, he's like, hey, you're going to do something, but you ain't sitting around. I, I don't give a And that's how <laughs> I was with my kids, my daughter, my son. I don't give a damn what I, you do. But it ain't going to be sitting here. So you get into dance, you get into football, you get into – I don't give a crap, but you ain't sitting and you ain't staring at some freaking screen. I'll get you – go, go. I just kick him out of the house. We had a reverse curfew. Come in late. Go.
1: Go. Get
2: out.
1: <laughs> 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 that sounds like in my, hey, in my uh, house, in, in, real quick, in my house, bedtime is extended if you're watching sports. Sports doesn't count as TV. <laughs> <laughs> bedtime. Like
0: Bowling Green here in, 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 in Blooming, or actually in Indianapolis, it's even more west. It was light out. Like here in Indy, it's light out till like, you know, 10 o'clock. We're the western part of the eastern time zone. Bowling Green was the same thing. I'm like, look, you ain't coming in till 10. I don't want to see. You. It's go. If you fall down, go. I don't know. Go. Hey, uh, books available today. What do we got? Where can we get it, big boy? It's going to be a great, yeah. it's a great book, people. I'm telling you, it's a great book.
1: Thank you so much for having me on. You can certainly buy it on Amazon, but if you want to be super nice, go to qbdads.com because you can get the book there. Honestly, we get a higher profit margin than than Amazon. There's a lot of information there and you can buy merch. We got quarter zips. We got t-shirts. We have t-shirts in like 30 different colors. So you can potentially outfit your whole, you know, you can get them in your school's colors, whatever it is, whether it's green or red or black or whatever you like um so qbdads.com or amazon but enjoy the hell out of it man this has been a a two-year labor of love and honestly doing shows like this makes it worth it because i love talking about this stuff and i love seeing you and can't wait to do it in person
0: qbdads.com
1: no way here yep (laughs) there it is right over my right is where
0: yeah, see, I want – look, look, ladies and gentlemen, we, we got to maximize profits. That's what we do. I mean, I love <laughs> That's the what fact I've learned, man. that you're like, hey.
1: Amazon takes a lot out.
0: Yeah. <laughs> hey, if you're, you learn from the best. You learn from quarterback dads. I swear to God, it's so funny. You're writing this book, and I'm sitting there going – I was telling my wife, Lee, about it, and she goes, oh, man. I should write one about softball dads. My wife was a coach at Bowling Green. She had this big old dude whose daughter didn't play or whatever, walked by my wife at 5'2", 102 pounds, and throw a shot at her. Gave her an elbow at dad in the parking lot as a college coach. How about that? How about
1: that? What the – I mean, if you have been there to defend her, this would not – And I, you know what? I don't think she oh. needs defending because I've seen her arms. She could kick the crap out of most dads, yeah.
0: right? I know. I know. Then he squealed away with his time, telling you dads in every sport need to read this book. Teddy G, you're my man. Thanks for coming on.
1: Thank you tremendously, man. Let's do a Cubs game, all right?
0: I'm in. I'm in. I'm always in on the Cubs game. That's my friend Teddy Greenside. So I'm telling you, you sports parents out there that are just getting into what you should do with your son. Number one, Teddy Greenstein is a great dude. So this isn't slanted in any direction. Number two, Teddy writes really well, so it's going to be entertaining as hell. And number three, if Teddy spends two years on a book, this is going to be a damn good book that's going to be informative. And as I said, this is not just, swear to God, this is not just for quarterback. I've seen you crazy ass parents out there in basketball. I've seen you during games in basketball at in, in the state of Indiana with packed houses get up and act like idiots. I saw Bob Knight literally storm down as a high school dad from the top of the bleachers at Martinsville High School go all the way down when everybody in the crowd was looking at him, circle the court and storm into a locker room to berate a coach named Mike Lord. And Lord was a friend of mine at Bloomington North. He goes, hey, man, he goes, I don't want to punch the dude, but next time I got to punch him. I've seen the craziest dads ever. I, I'm going to tell you about myself. My kids played. My, my son I never stood up. I never said a word. I sat right there. My father one time was on the rush. I'm going to go, Dad, if you're going to yell, you got to leave me alone. You got to go because that ain't me. I saw the, one of the richest dudes in Indiana. My son's first high school basketball game. He is a freshman at the end of the bench. It is the first game at Zionsville High School. I look over, and this dad, who is a big blank attorney, in his full freaking suit, standing up in the middle of the student parent section over here, you mother... I'm like, no. No, 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 no. After the game... If Andrew wanted a little information, I'd give him everything he wanted. If he wanted to watch film, I wasn't saying, we got to watch film. Now, that's what worked for me. May not work for you, but I'm telling you peoples, get this book. QBDads.com. Read it. Equate it to yourself if you're thinking about being a freaking maniac. Maybe it'll make you want to be a maniac more. Maybe you'll be like, oh, my God, I got to get him into training. I got to get him his own shoes. Maybe. But at least you'll have a basis. Because I'm so tired. I talk about it on my indie show all the time. You freaking parents are idiots. You're nuts. You're insane. You've lost your mind. You big fat ass dad in your, uh, in your cargo shorts wearing your hat with your sunglasses on the top. And you have a baseball or, or softball dad. You're the worst. I saw a guy at Carmel High School sit behind home plate. His daughter was a stud. I'm not going to say her name because the guy might be doing my driveway. His daughter was a stud. He sat there with his cutoff shirt, big-ass arms because he was a, a concrete guy, and started ripping on the other kids on the other team. I didn't know it. I was down the first baseline. My wife, Lee, was coaching the local high school. All of a sudden, Lee comes out. The umpires go back. And they kick the guy out. I'm like, what happened? She goes, what, a guy was yelling at our players? You parents are nuts. Read quarterback dads, damn it. All right, we'll be right right back. Come on. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me, we'll be right back after this. You know I ain't mad about it. Let's go, mask mandates. Mask, let's play it, baby. There are a number of these videos. Let's play the video of the mask mandates being announced.
1: Ow! On airlines. ...optional for all airport employees, crew members, and customers inside U.S. airports and onboard aircraft. April 18th, the Biden administration announced that the Transportation Security Administration will no longer enforce the federal mandate requiring masks in all U.S. airports and onboard aircraft.
0: Woo! Yeah! Oh man, if you have flown, let's be honest, and the science doesn't support it, I ain't mad about it! I ain't even a little mad about it. And I'll tell you what else I ain't mad about. I ain't mad if you're mad about it. Be mad all you want. Get crap. I was on a flight and and, and, and I I don't know what to do. Good. Good. You know what? Sit there and be healthy. The science dictates this. The science dictates that, ladies and gentlemen, The safest place to be in terms of airflow is on a freaking airplane. I don't know what to tell you, but it is. So I ain't mad about it. Let's make sure, you know, I ain't mad about that even a little bit. In fact, I'm very happy about that. I'm not kind of, sort of happy. I'm very happy about that. Let's not even mess around with this stuff. Let's not even mess around. Get rid of the mask mandates and I ain't mad about it. I'll tell you what else I ain't mad about. I ain't mad about Jordan Spieth winning on the NCAA, winning on the PGA Tour again. Here's the deal with Spieth. There are very few players that carry the it factor. Our friend Ryan Burr, who is on our show regularly, certainly to talk about golf, talks about the it factor of golfers. And Jordan Spieth is one of those guys. Like when we get into football, NFL, the league is better, isn't it? Whether you like the Cowboys or not, the league is better because, well, the Cowboys are good when they are good. The league is better when Belichick is good. It just is. The league is better when the better, most iconic franchises are good. We like us some champions. We like us some guys, some gals, and some teams that just have it and force us to watch. Jordan Spieth isn't the most exciting guy. Jordan Spieth isn't like Tiger and he's fist pumping and it's great. Tiger's off the charts. Now let's put Tiger up here. Mickelson below, far below, but maybe he's second. Maybe Dustin Johnson's in there. I don't know. The rest of them are good. But Spieth is certainly in there. Spieth has that certain kind of athletic boy next door, uh, I don't need anybody but me and my caddy kind of a feel. You know, it in sports is uh, uh, kind of the same as what the Supreme Court justice said about pornography. I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. And that's what Jordan Spieth has. Jordan Spieth has that it. So as we move into a summer, and by the way, golf's ratings are huge. I mean, people are loving watching golf on TV. Maybe it's the pandemic. I don't know. But what I do know is Jordan Spieth moves the needle. Jordan Spieth is not Tiger. Don't get me wrong. If Tiger's on, it's day four. He's in. The, he's on the first two. I'm watching. Spieth kind of the same, not nearly, but kind of. And I'm okay with that. Look, I'm okay with him being just below Tiger because nobody's touching Tiger. But Spieth has it. And I ain't going to lie. I like when he wins, and I ain't mad about it. I'll tell you something else I ain't mad about. You know, you may not know this guy. His name is Hunter Green. He's a starter for the Cincinnati Reds, his fastball has averaged, I want to make sure I get this right, 100 miles an hour, all right? He has struck out 13 of the 42 batters he has faced. Now, this is a weird record, okay? I want to make sure I got it. Against the Dodgers, he threw 39 pitches that were clocked at 100 miles an hour or greater. That's the most ever in the pitch tracking era, which is, like, uh, not very long. Jacob DeGran threw 33 pitches last June. That was, you know, the the record. Now, here's the deal. If you're going to watch baseball, you can watch the same old, same old, goateed guy throwing a pitch, taking an hour to get back. See, I think in baseball, side note, I think in baseball, there should be a rule. Correct me if you think I'm wrong. You throw a pitch. If any of your feet, foots, feet, toes, ass, I don't care, touches the grass around the mound, it's an automatic ball. Meaning I throw a pitch. I receive the ball back. I got to be on the dirt. If I walk forward, catch it on the grass, automatic ball. I'm going to tell you why. It drives me nuts. When pitchers walk around, it drives me nuts. Throw it, catch it, on the mound, let's go. All right, most guys do a variation of that. Most guys, and again, the word most comes into play here. Most means the majority. Most guys are boring as hell to watch. Let's be honest. Hunter Green. Hunter Green with the Reds is must-see TV. And for one reason, I don't know if Hunter Green's any good. I don't know if Hunter Green's going to be the next Cy Young, Tom Seaver, Roger Clemens, J.R. Richard, who threw really hard and had a nice career. I don't know. I don't know if he's going to blow his arm out, but I know this. I'm watching Hunter Green's next start. I am. All I'm saying is when you throw the ball that hard, we want to watch. I love watching a this Chapman. Maybe not now. And maybe not if you're a Yankees fan. The Yankees are okay. But maybe he's getting older. But I got to tell you, when a roll this Chapman threw a pitch, you know what my eyes went to? Right there. You know what's right there? What's right there is the miles per hour. I want to know what the MPH is. I want to know I want to look and go, oh, yeah, man, he brought it 104. I do. I don't do that with every pitcher because every pitcher, as I said, they're all the same. But not this guy, Hunter Green. All right, now listen to this. The gap between Green and second place uh, Sandy Alcantara is 2.8 miles per hour. That is equal to the gap between second place and 18th place. That's how much harder this guy, Hunter Green, throws the ball. He averages a hundred, Alcantara, 97.2, Rodon of San Francisco, 97.1, and then everybody's at 96.8. I won't bore you with it. Hunter Green is much watched TV. Let's be honest. It's like back in the day, we want to see something special. Well, what we see special? Sosa McGuire hitting home runs. Hunter Green throwing a fastball. I ain't mad about it. All right, football fans. We talked about this a bit yesterday. But I ain't mad at Nick Saban saying what he said as a warning shot on the NIL to college football. What Saban said was basically this. Be careful what you wish for. Because is this really, buying of players, is this really what we want football to be? Now, the answer is yes. See, right now, the headline that I read was Nick Saban said, the NIL era is unsustainable, it will lead to buying players. And then he goes on and talks about the concept of name, image, and likeness was for players to use their name, image, and likeness to create opportunities. But that creates a situation where you can basically buy players. You can do it in recruiting. If that's what you want college football to be, I don't know. You can also get players in the transfer portal to see if they can get more someplace else that they can get at your place. I hate to break it to Nick, and I know I'm not breaking this to Nick. I know Nick knows. Every coach that's coached more than two minutes knows. When you give something to players and coaches, they take it a long way. It ain't a mile, ladies and gentlemen. Miles. Here's the deal. When your favorite announcer, football, basketball, NCAA, whatever, when your favorite college athletics announcer talked about the thickness of the NCAA year, uh, uh, rule book and complained about it, He was an idiot. The thickness of the NCAA rulebook is not because of the NCAA. It's because when you put a rule in, college coaches are always going to find a loophole. Many college coaches can't touch their rear end with both hands. Many college coaches can't spell cat. But what college coaches can do is find loopholes in rules. So as you made all these amendments, boom, 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 the rule book got bigger. It's the same thing in this. As Nick Saban says, the concept of name, image, and likeness was for players to be able to use their name. Meaning in a perfect world, Danny Dockich goes to Indiana, I got a name, I got an image, I got a likeness, The school or whoever pairs pairs me up with uh, somebody, whoever it is. That's the concept. All right? We all knew the reality. Every person alive knew the reality. The reality is going to be what Texas A&M is alleged to have done which is get a big pot of money. Talk about God, wear a jacket and tie, talk about mama, Jimbo Fisher, talk about education, talk about all the crap that Jimbo Fisher is gonna go in there and talk about, but the bottom line was gonna be this, we all knew, how much can you pay Dan Dockich to come to your school? And is that more than what Nick Saban is paying at Alabama. And will that be more over the course of my four years? Everybody knew this. Nick knew this. He is saying a very smart thing. He is bringing out what it is supposed to be. He is not accusing anybody, but in a sense, he is saying what is being done. I always said this. If I was at Bowling Green, if I was at Bowling Green, I would literally Literally, legally or illegally, I don't care. I I lived by the letter of the law for 20-some years in coaching. There is no letter of the law now. I would go out. I would cultivate every dime that I could. I would put it in a big pot, and I would try to buy the two best players in Ohio or Indiana or Illinois or Michigan or wherever. I would try to outbid everybody. Could I do it? Maybe not. But I'd take a hell of a swing at them. I would. Because that's what this is. Period. Every school is now doing what I just suggested. Indiana's doing it. Purdue's doing it. Everybody's doing it. Coaches are walking into recruits' houses and being asked, what kind of car am I getting? I had a coach, prominent coach, tell me exhaustedly, hey, Dan, I had to walk out of this meeting, immediately call a BMW dealership, see if I could get this kid a car. A kid. So, Nick Saban isn't being disingenuous here. Nick Saban isn't being Dabo Sweeney here. Not even a little bit. Nick Saban is saying, is this what you want football to be? And the answer is going to be yes. Until, until presidents and faculty members stand up. See, faculty members have always complained about the wrong things. Faculty members have always bitched, whined, and moaned about athletics getting too much money. But they've never really done anything about it. They write their little stories. Everybody goes, yay, rah. But faculty members truly standing up to a president and putting pressure on presidents is really the only way this changes because I'm just telling you, this is only going to get bigger. You can say whatever you'd like, but it's only going to get bigger. The Caleb Williams of the world, Leaving Oklahoma to go to LA for a variety, for a variety of reasons. First off, want to play for his old coach. Then there's NIL, makes total sense to me. If I am the front runner for the Heisman Trophy, or I'm a guaranteed starter of a big time football or basketball program, and I don't have certain roots to a particular program, Like if you grew up in Indianapolis or Southern Indiana and Indiana basketball recruits you, you kind of have some roots there, your mom, your dad, whatever. Where I grew up in Northwest Indiana, I watched Indiana, I loved Indiana, but I wasn't like overly nuts on Indiana. I mean, I watched DePaul, Marquette, Notre Dame, those schools coming up, UCLA. But unless you have real roots, ain't a damn thing wrong with saying, hey, look, I'm going to leave this school. I'm going to go out to L.A. where they're going to pay me more money. I'm going to get more exposure. I'm going to be exposed to all kinds of different things. And, oh, by the way, I'm still going to be the starting quarterback on a national program. And, oh, by the way, I'm still going to be a first round, if not the first pick in the NFL or NBA draft. There's no reason not to. None. But the one thing that I haven't seen in here with Nick Saban is this. I do not see in here anything about education. I don't see, as I'm reading this article, he talks about developing players. He talks about the money. He talks about adapting. He talks about, well, the transfer portal, I can get a better deal somewhere else. Well, of course. You know how you do that as a coach? You know how you stop that as a coach? Uh, Joey Bagadonuts puts his name in the portal because Joey Bagadonuts isn't really interested in transferring. He just wants to see what he can get somewhere else. You know what you do if you're Nick Saban and Joey Bagadonas puts it in the portal? You say, adios, Joey Bagadonas. And I got to tell you, any media member that complains about running a kid off that went in the portal can kiss my backside if I'm Nick Saban, period. I'm not worried about whether or not a kid that put his name in the portal uh, and me saying you can't come back and any media or social media reaction. It ain't going to be great, but who cares? Don't put your name in the portal. The only time, only time that he mentions it is this. He talks about what players should be talking about. They've got a good history of developing players. They've got a great graduation rate, and that value is more important. And they're distributing money to everyone in the organization. That's the only time education is ever raised here. Now again, I know I did it wrong. Oh man, I would yell at academic counselors. One thing I knew how to do was graduate players because I was gonna demand that they graduate. I was gonna be at, as a head coach at classes. The truth of the matter is I don't he- hear about it. And again, I've said this before, I'll say this again. I'm just curious what happens five, 10 years down the line. I'm just curious. You go to four schools, you go get your money, great. Remember, remember, 52% gone. I don't know if it's that way for college players, but you get $100,000, I'll say 40 of it's gone. 60 is a nice chunk of change, though, for a college kid. I ain't mad about it. If kids are smart, you know that old line? Use the system, don't let the system use you. If you use the system and don't let the system use you, You're in for a hell of a life if you take that money and do something good with it. I'm telling you right now. I'm telling you right now. Don't be an idiot. Just don't be an idiot. Don't think that, man, 60,000 is gonna last me a lifetime. No. Hey man, I got 60K in the bank. I I got a free education that I don't have any loans for. I got a good education. Are you out of your mind? It's the best. Dambo Sweeney's gone the other way a little bit. He's been a little bit stupid. He's questioned it too much. But if Nick Saban, he knew, we all know. Hey, J.J. Reddick, you want to come to my school? Yeah, what do you got for me? I got free education, books, board, tuition, fees. Oh, really? What else? Got BMW. I got three guys that are going to give you $100,000 a year. All right, I'll get back to you. Hey, uh, Coach, this is J.J. Reddick. Dockage's school just offered me a BMW, 100000 in cash. What do you got? I'll get you BMW. I'll get you 120000 Hey, Coach Dockage, I'm going over to this other school. Yeah, what happened? do they offered me twenty grand more. I'm telling you. That's happening right now. That is happening as I'm talking to you. Don't at me, people. 100% happening as I'm talking to you. And Nick Saban, new to the party. He's not new to the party. Nick Saban knows. But I ain't mad about Nick saying it. I'm interested in seeing what happens. It's going to be fascinating. Ladies and gentlemen, did I mention to you that there are no mask mandates anymore on airplanes? There are no mask mandates anymore on Ubers, Amtrak? Is there anything I missed here? How about Catherine Kimball-Mizel? Man. But I got on a flight. Yeah. Hey, Dan, are you going to talk about, man, uh, are you going to talk about the NFL draft? Let me tell you what I'm going to do with the NFL draft. I'm going to have you so covered for the NFL draft, you're going to be like, damn. And by the way, kudos to Mel Kuyper Jr. Can we all, as we sit here, can we all, come on, come on, YouTube. Mel Kuyper Jr. said, hey, look, I ain't doing it. I ain't getting vaccinated. And you know what Mel Kuyper's saying that meant? Mel Kuyper understood that Mel Kuyper has power. He has star appeal for the draft. A draft without Mel Kuyper is not going to be the same. You can take any of the other guys out, but Mel Kuyper is the draft. So Mel says, I ain't getting vaccinated. Well, you ain't coming to the draft. Okay, I'm not coming to the draft. Oh, Mel, hey, wait a second. We'll come to your house. Compare that with what they did with Allison Williams. Hey, Allison, you're out. That's cool. Allison will be fine. Already is. But I ain't mad about Mel Kuyper standing up and saying, hey, nope, ain't happening. I am not getting masked. Period. And I'm doing the draft. And ESPN said yes. Last thing. I want to tell you. So when I go on Twitter and I tweet anything from our show, I thought this to be interesting. Uh, People always say, well, is that what Daddy Clay told you to say, I got to tell you, Clay Travis, nor has anybody that's involved in this show, ever told me anything to say. You know who has? Disney. When I worked at ESPN, you know who did? Well, Dan, I can't believe you said this about the debates. You got to shut it down. No, see, Disney did. Nobody here has ever told me what to say, ever. It's interesting. Disney did. Disney absolutely did. Don't at me, people. All right, we'll be right back. My friend Timmy Doyle next. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. Not not only is he the most informative, but he is the most handsome, and his hair is unbelievable. He's the man who taught me how to put dust in my hair. And he's strong. (laughs) Look at him. He's built like a brick you-know-what house. Oh, man. Holy cow. You know, hey, Tim, would you have ever in college, you know how guys lay it up and get fouled and they start flexing? Would you have ever
2: back at Northwestern given them a little flex, let them see him? You know, if I had made it N1, I would just go like this to the hair. You know, I'd, I'd fix the hair a little bit. That's, you know, I told a funny story once to Eddie Hightower, who was, you know, referee. But Did he ref your games at at, at Indiana? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. What, what oh, yeah. was interesting, and, and I said this to him. I, I said, "What was what's interesting?" And I always call him Mr. Hightower out of respect. Plus, I always try to butter up the officials. I told him it was interesting when you used to ref in the '80s when Dan Dockage played. You had no hair, and now in 2006, you're refereeing and you got a full head of hair. Like he was one of those guys. I always wanted to touch it. I go, "Can I please touch it, Mr. Hightower?" He's like, "What is wrong with you?" I said, "A lot of things are wrong with me." <laughs>
0: You know, as you, I always tell my wife, as, as you get older, and this is just me, I can spot two things from a mile away, a fake rack and fake hair. I can spot a freaking toupee from here to your house in the northern suburbs of Chicago. I can spot those two things like nobody's business, big boy. And he had yeah, a glorious I mean, one.
2: Yeah, he, he had an amazing one, and he was such a gentleman <laughs> I remember he had daughters that were around my age. So we would be in layup lines, and I wouldn't have like a long conversation, but I would catch him on the flip side every time. And I said, if I started dating your daughters, could I call you dad? And he'd be, get back in line, Doyle. Get back in line. <laughs> <laughs>
0: hey, why are you – wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. You sent me a text last night.
2: Why Are we still loving the Grizzlies? Are we still good on the Grizzlies? You know, uh, I saw Teddy Greenstein was on before, and he works with PointsBet, and I told him I wanted to put in a bet before the uh, NBA playoffs started. I wanted to bet the Grizzlies. But I went through a couple of different sites, and the other sites actually had better odds. They had him at 15-1. to 1. He, at PointsBet, had him at 12-1, to 1, right? So I go, you know, I, I don't know what to tell him, and I feel like he goes, well, let me see what I can do. Long story, short, I got tax season coming up. It wasn't an ideal time to put in the bet. So they lose. And now if you want to bet them to win the NBA championship, they're 20-1 to to win it all. So I thought the Minnesota, the T-Wolves are an AAU team. And when they play and make shots, they can beat anybody on any given night. I thought that was a fluke game. I thought that was an outlier. In game two, Memphis is minus six and a half at home. I'm going to lay the points in game two. Dan, I'm going to jump in on them now at 20-1 to because I think they can match up Against the Warriors. And that's who they're gonna see in the next round. I think they have the pieces to guard the Warriors. And let's not forget last year in the play-in game, who beat the Warriors? The Memphis Grizzlies. You know, one of the one of the things that people have
0: told me uh, it, it, from the NBA, and let me you must not agree with this, but people have told me by far the best team is the Suns. Now I watch the Suns and I think they're really good. But every guy that I know in the NBA tells me this is by far the best team in the league. You, you're not buying that, obviously.
2: You know, I, and maybe I had a moment. Two weeks ago, I called the Suns-Grizzlies game. And the Suns played their full roster, and the Grizzlies played no starters. And it was a game that was in Memphis, and the Suns were minus nine. And I watched the Suns come out and just kind of lollygag through the game especially to start the game, open up the game down 11-1, but then they flipped the switch. Like, they were like, oh, okay, now it's time to play. And the Grizzlies were like, yeah, yeah, it's time to play. And the Suns flipped the switch in that game like three or four times, and each time the Grizzlies were like, yeah, no, we're not going anywhere. And I thought that was an important game because the Grizzlies are looking up at Phoenix, and even though they played no starters, they kind of kicked the Suns' ass in that game. And I was like, oh, like – They're going to have a belief now in that locker room. Even with our second team, we could beat the Suns at full strength. So I think what happened in game one was an aberration. It's sports. Anything could happen. Grizzlies couldn't make a shot. t Wolves played great. They made a ton of threes. Like every time the Grizzlies made a run, the t Wolves made like a huge significant shot. So I think the Grizzlies are going to be fine. I think that was a little bit of a wake-up call. And now if you want to jump in, now's the time that the odds are going to change. I just – you know when you call a game, Dan – you, you really, really dive in, and I was like, oh, these guys think they could beat Phoenix. So it would be a great series. I think it's a six- or seven-game series. Same thing I feel about with the Grizzlies and the Warriors. I just think the Grizzlies have amazing value versus those other two teams. Suns and Warriors, you get no value with them.
0: When I watched – I want to go to the first game tonight, the Hawks uh, and the Heat. Now, the Hawks – Coming off, you know, they came back, they won. Trey Young goes nuts. It, you know modern basketball better than I know it, but I know this. Blitzing Trey Young, keeping your shoulders squared to him, keeping him in the, I mean, it could not have worked better. Do you anticipate the Hawks tonight being able plus seven to get a – not a win in the game. I don't think they're going to win the game. Can they cover the plus seven?
2: You know, they played each other last week of the regular season, and it was a game that went right down to the wire. Previous four games all went right down to the wire. I thought Atlanta looked tired. I thought they looked beat. Uh Trey Young couldn't make a shot. I'll tell you this right now, Trey Young opens up the game one for ten, like he did against the Heat. They're gonna get whacked, you know. So you gotta think that they're gonna have a little bit more of a bounce back spot, but you got a bunch of 22 to 28-year-olds running around South Beach. I know we think it's the playoffs. <laughs> you're talking about kids that are millionaires and maybe they have, I like to call it the SPF, not like the white stuff you put on your nose. Like it's called the South beach flu because you're in the hotel. And I remember when I was at St. John's <laughs> we had to play Miami and it was, I already knew I was transferring. So it was like, it was a March game. but It was on a Saturday night and we're sitting around Friday night at the hotel. You know, there was no supervision. I was on St. John's. So I just went out. Oh, and I had a ball next day. Got to the beach. I mean, I laid this. I oiled up my whole body. I was like a lobster. I was like this, completely red by the time the game started. I I figure I'm not playing, and I'm like, whatever. I'm sitting at the end of the bench. Mike Jarvis goes, get in the game. I go, oh, no, this ain't good. And I don't know why, but the first shot was an air ball, and I was right under the hoop, and I laid it in. So I had like a quick deuce. And then I was boxing out because I couldn't touch the rim. I was boxing out really hard, and the guy just pushed me. So I went to the line, I banged down two free throws. So I had four coach, in like three possessions. So I grab a rebound <laughs> and I was not a shooter. And I take the most ill advised three pointer from like the logo. And that thing just bounces at the dotted line and goes out of bounds. So what does any good basketball player do? I just run down the court saying, He tipped it. He tipped yeah. it. But he yeah. wasn't tipped at all. Next possession, subbed out of the game, don't play the rest of the game. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> you think the flu these guys don't no, come on. You were you were like 18 years old, man. You were enticed by the local Hooters. These dudes are pros. You think they're out?
2: Um, I always hesitate for any team. Like, I'll look at travel schedules when I'm gambling, and I'll be like, oh man, they just went from Milwaukee to Miami. Like we've been in Wisconsin in February and January, and then you go to Miami. Yeah, you're, you become like a teenager. It's like girls going wild down there. Like, you just go nuts. Like, I, you see it all when teams, like, circle through Miami and they get whacked in that game. Uh, I just get nervous because they played two nights ago. They've been sitting down in Miami. Hopefully they went out after the game and got out of their system. But I'll, I'll take the seven points and I'll take the dog in this spot.
0: Hey, is the Heat are, are the Heat the best team in the East?
2: The heat are going to get matched up with Philly, and I, I have the 76ers coming out of the Eastern Conference. Um, you know, when you have Harden and Maxi and Embiid and Harris, I, I'm not a big numbers geek, but offensively, that's the best team in the NBA. And all the ratings and all the statistics back up that that's the best offensive team in the NBA. And you know what they've done in the first two playoff games? They've kind of proved it. You know, they've scored 131 in game one. And yet last night, I I had 112 and a half over and the 76ers score freaking 17 points. The fourth quarter, it lands on one twelve, So I felt like I handicapped the game right, but I lost by a half a point. Oh, it was like, that's when you feel like really low in life. Like you tuck your kids in, you give them a kiss. You say your prayers. You rub your wife's belly, and then you go out in the freaking 76 and score 17 points in the fourth quarter, and you're sitting there. And immediately, I had two double-stuffed Oreos. Like, I don't know why that made me feel better. I just ate two Oreos right after the game, and I was like, that does make me feel a little bit better.
0: Oh, man. How about – how about you? Like you know, like my my grandmother, you we used to call her a Babushka lady, wore the big, bu- bu- and she would she would sit there and eat bonbons. You had to stress eat. You had to go. <laughs> used to be whiskey. Now you got three kids and you're going to double stuff Oreos.
2: Used to yeah, be because I the, had to have two shooters to get right. That's right. That's right. The yeah, but what I learned was. Then the morning sucked. Like, at least I woke up this morning, like, and I was like, ah, I'm such a fat ass. I had those Oreos. But, like, then when I used have the whiskeys, now I mean, my, my daughter's up at 545 today. I go, what are we betting? Like, Japan horse racing? Like, that's the only time I wake up that early. It's the best horses in Japan. Like, nah, nah, go back to bed, honey. So, like, that's why I eliminated the whiskey <laughs> I got no action. I can't. Wait, is Korean (laughs) baseball
0: back? Is Bonetti on my TV?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Do do you remember that? Yeah. Do you remember? Could could you recognize your lowest lowest gambling point during the pandemic? Did you, like, bet on, like, what time a guy was going to leave his house? Like, I have a story. Did you have a story? Like, were you betting on shit that was just so weird during the pandemic? Timmy, I bet every day on Russian table
0: tennis. Every day, oh my. every day, I bet on. I, re- I did, every day. It got. It, it was basically a segment on my show that we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna see. And I swear to God, they knew who I bet on, and then they went the other way. I swear to God, they did. What was did you your? Watch word? What was your weirdest?
2: Did you hold on? Did you no, watch you the, the watch matches? Oh uh, yeah. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. The, the worst no. was. I would just, te- I would be texting my buddy. I go, it's time to go down under. And it wasn't a sexual thing. It was Australian horse racing where they run the wrong way. But here's the thing that really screws you up. They break from the post that doesn't align with their number. So I was printing out the whole day of racing at these Australian tracks just so I could follow because the five horse came out of the 10 hole and the one horse came out of the 15 hole. Like, it was utter chaos, and then they're running the wrong way, and I'm just like, what am I doing with my life? (laughs) That's what
0: I – what am I doing with my life? Did you bet the USFL this weekend?
2: I, I did not. Here's the deal. I, I, I now that I have three kids, uh, unfortunately I have a two month old, but if I can't really dive in and watch, I, I don't gamble like I used to, yeah. you know, I, I like getting the fix of it. Like it, it, see, that's why I asked like the table tennis, at least if I watched it, like it's cause it, it's, it's a drug, you know, and whether you're betting $5, $50 or $500, I like getting that fix, that high because at the end of the day, who wins? Who loses? You, know, you shouldn't be risking your house, or your mortgage payment on it. It's a form of entertainment. And I always get I like getting the fix out of it. So I like watching like last night. I bet the 76ers lost at 82 two Oreos like the Warriors didn't want to stay up that late. Just watch the first half. So I bet the first half ended up cashing that ticket. So like I, I like to watch like I like to get my fix.
0: Yeah, I, yesterday, I, when when I don't know, and I should have known, I should have taken the Sixers, I took OG Ananobe to go over 17.5 points. Oh. And I'm telling you, Tim, it, it, in our world, I mean, I, I, I don't want to speak for you, but I love to compete. Like, I love it. And there's really only a couple things that I feel that I can compete in. I, I love playing golf. I'll play golf for money. I'll, make, I'll never turn down a bet. I'll bet anybody any amount of money. Not any amount of money. I won't, I'm won't. i not an idiot. But I'll bet. I'll bet any bet, basically. And, you know, watching a game and having some money on it. Again, I'm not losing my mind. But there's only there's only certain things we can compete in. You may be young enough and healthy enough that you can go play three-on-three three or something. I, I can't do that. So I use it as a way to
2: compete a little bit. That's That's how I view it. Yeah, and I think nothing is a great way to describe it is how you did it. I think it's a great form of entertainment, especially a game that is pretty meaningless. I mean, I'm a I'm a okay football fan, but if you're telling me I gotta watch a football game for four hours and I have no action on it, eighty percent of the plays the guy just running into other guys. It's like it is the most boring sport. Of all time. Like, if you sat somebody down and said, watch this for three and a half hours, 80% of the plays are just one guy running three yards into a tunnel of other guys. Like, they'd be like, this game sucks. All of a sudden, you got fantasy, you got totals, you're betting the spread. Now the game becomes real interesting. But football, you couldn't find a more boring. You ever go to a football game live? I mean, slit your wrist. It's like this thing oh. is horrible. It's horrible.
0: Timmy, uh, when I was in grade school, one of my teachers said, Mr. Dockett, you love sports, so you need to do this. I want you to take a stopwatch and time how much action there actually is in a football game and write it down. You know how much in that three hours or four hours actual play was? Now, this is back in 1970-something, so there were more running plays, okay? Do you know how much – like, play starts, play stops. All right, do you know how much actual action there was? I would say under fifteen minutes, under ten minutes, six yeah. and a half, seven minutes. That's it. Yeah. Now, now they pass more, so there's more plays. But you know, you run. Walter Payton runs the damn ball. Thirty seconds later, they do it again. You know what I mean? Uh, you're tough. so right. You're you're tough, you're... <laughs> tough,
2: tough. but, you know, but hey, then let me... if you if you got a bet on it though. You know, second and eight, and all of a sudden you get third and one. And you're like, all right, baby, we're gonna get this first down. Like all of a sudden every play becomes so important.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm hey Timmy, I'm calling plays, man. I'm calling plays <laughs> in my living room. What are you doing? You st- <laughs> hey, Golden State. You like Golden State? What do you think of Golden State? You got you got the kid from Michigan pool playing his brains out. You got Boogie Cousins acting like an idiot for the Nuggets. What What are your thoughts here? They sweep the Nuggets? What are we going to do here?
2: I think Denver gets one game. You know, they have the MVP, so I think they figure out a way to win one game. So maybe a gentleman sweep four to one. But I, I got to give Steve Kerr a lot of credit. I watch a lot of NBA. And when you're an NBA coach, you got to have amazing restraint because Jordan Poole One out of every four plays he was making early in his career was awful. I mean, he would take them down and like take like a 40-footer or like throw the ball off the backboard. But Steve Kerr does an amazing job of letting his players grow and figure it out. Now Jordan Poole is emerging as, you know, one of the best players in this NBA playoffs. Uh, To answer your question, I think Steve Kerr made one of the greatest sports decisions in the history of sports, and it's not talked about. Dan, do you remember? Steve Kerr was supposed to be the head coach of the New York Knicks. Right. Turns down the job for Phil Jackson and goes, nah, I'm going to take the Warriors job. You know, I wrote down sports decisions that, that are on level with not taking the Knicks job and taking the Warriors job. The Yankees signing Babe Ruth, Nike signing Jordan, uh, the Patriots drafting Tom Brady, like the guy said no to the Knicks. And now he's a hall of fame coach. Um, I think their team is, I am shocked at the way they're able just to put it together. And then everyone's playing basketball and Steph's getting almost 30 off the bench. And you know what they know how to do? They know how to play and guys really understand spacing and they can all shoot the ball. And Draymond green is terrible when he's your best option, but when he's your fifth option, he's an amazing glue guy and he makes everybody else better on the floor. I just think Memphis can match up with them. I think Bain can guard Clay. I think Ja can guard Curry. I think the bench of Memphis is better. Like I said, that game one was an aberration. I think Memphis could guard them, but that's going to be a great series. I think everybody wants to see Phoenix and Golden State, but I think the Grizzlies are going to give both those teams heck of a series.
0: When when you look at what Kerr did, I mean, think about this. Think about I'm turning down. He had never coached, but yet – I'm going to turn down the Knicks. Now, he had a pretty good gig with CBS, right? But that would be, if you want to coach, where do you want to coach? Like, the Knicks would be, I don't know, but that is so smart, and you make such a great point. He would right now be an announcer. He he would be back at CBS had he taken that Knicks job. I don't think there's any doubt about it.
2: Yeah, and you know what he does? You always see old coaches on his bench and, you know, guys that he – to, to, the modern player has changed. You know this as well as anybody, and he's able to connect with those guys. You know, Phil Jackson. Do we know what type of coach he was? I don't know. He had some pretty good players. You know, he had Michael and Shaq and Kobe. But there's something to be said about getting those guys to figure out how to play five on five and having those guys to buy in. You know, not everyone has that ability to kind of relate and translate to everybody. So I don't think Steve Kerr is one of the greatest basketball coaches of one to, uh, of all time. But he's able to manage that talent. And at the NBA level, that's what you have to do, manage talent.
0: Uh, These young players, what do you think? Is Morant the best of them?
2: You know, I saw him in Murray, Kentucky. By the way, if you've ever been to Murray, Kentucky, I apologize. Okay? But I was the voice of the Ohio (laughs) Valley. Oh, you've been there? I've been there as well. And then right after the game ends, you drive as fast as you can. It's two hours to Nashville. And next thing <laughs> my shirt's off, and I'm in Girls Gone Wild in Nashville. So I saw him at Murray State, and I went, oh, oh, this dude. Like, I saw the athleticism. Like, whenever a guy hits his head on top of the box in, like, a game against Austin P, it stands out to you. And then I saw that he could really pass, and I knew he had a pretty high basketball IQ, which I value. So I said, all right, if this dude learns how to make a shot or he can shoot the three, well, then the sky's the limit for him. And, you know, in the NCAA tournament, he had triple-double against Marquette. They whacked Marquette. In the next game, they got blown out, Murray, by Florida State. But he took five threes in that game, and he was five of five from three. And Florida State usually has a lot of guys that are six, seven, six, nine, long arms. So, like, if you can make shots against them, that more than likely that's going to translate to the next level. So I bet John Moran to win the MVP before the season. He was 50 to one. Obviously, he's not going to win the award, but he makes other guys better. The only thing I can't figure out, Dan, is the Grizzlies are 20 and three when he doesn't play. So I got to think they're better when he does play. So this is one of those teams that I I think we saw them at their worst in game one. And I think they got value. I'm jumping on the series. They're going to figure out a way. The T-Wolves are going to T-Wolves.
0: Man, I got to tell you though, Anthony Edwards, I, I said this earlier, he, he came into the league and I Timmy, I don't know, man, he just looked comfortable. I remember seeing him early going, whoa, this dude is just comfortable being, I don't know, and maybe they are an AAU team. They seem like they have those tendencies, but that's a pretty talented dude with Carl Anthony Towns, big boy.
2: Yeah, and, and he's just scratching the surface, Anthony Edwards. He worked out a lot with Steve Smith, who I work with at NBA TV, and Steve was telling me that he really didn't pick up the game until, you know, middle school. So the thing about, you know, he's he only went one year of college. Talk about a guy who's only been playing basketball about seven years. They Everyone amongst NBA circles think that he's going to be an MVP one day, so they kind of e- echo the same sentiment. Um, they're, they, they, I've watched him a lot. And when they're going good, like they were in game one, you know, you're not going to beat them. But when things start going bad and the old wheels start coming off, like that's what I'm planning on in this series. Like they're going to t wolves themselves. So if they don't, you know, more power to them. Like I said, I didn't bet before game one. I'm going to jump in now in game two, but uh, Memphis in the series and Memphis to win the title at 20 to one.
0: All right. I'll let you go. T T-wolving themselves is what I call Purdue in the NCAA tournament. I said, people don't worry about it. Purdue's gonna purdue in the NCAA tournament, man. It's
2: gonna happen. So that's what the NBA is. You're gonna T-wolves yourself. I saw Painter at the Final Four. Now matt only referred to me as the porn star which i found out when i played with gordon watt when i went on the big 10 all-star team he goes you know we used to call you the porn star i said i i think that's a compliment so i see him walking across the street and i i got i got ahead of it and i go i go painter you gotta start dyeing your hair it takes 20 years off your life right because i dye my hair a little bit and he goes "Right." he looks at me he goes do well, you still doing that shimmy after you score? I said, Of course I am, coach. I go, dye the hair for sure.
0: <laughs> well,
2: timeout. How do you dye the hair a little bit? I get the and I'm due for a dyeing, okay? I just grow it over here. Ben Stiller, right? Or Polly Walnuts. I just get the gray right in this region. It doesn't grow gray up here. So I think a silver fox is wonderful, but when you look like Paulie Walnuts in Glen Ellen, Illinois, it's a bad look. So I had to make an executive decision. <laughs> you know who Paulie Walnuts is? He's the guy in Sopranos. That's grand grandson. So I had to make an executive yeah, 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 decision yeah, yeah. That, that, that we got to go, you know, just like you, like there was a day you looked in the mirror and you said, I don't know what's going on with this hair, but we got to make a decision and this thing's gone. So I made the decision that we're going to keep on dying it until I feel like we can make the transition over.
0: Yeah, my my decision was made with three bottles of wine in a pandemic. That <laughs> was like, hey, get rid of the, get rid, of, get, get rid of it. right here on my back porch. I'm like, ah, oh, this stuff's got to go. My stepson, get your clippers out. Let's go. Let's figure figure it out. No, hey, he, you're he, the best, he, he, oh, man.
2: We're taking the Grizzlies. Thanks, Dan. See you, buddy. Yeah, I just wonder, are you like Doctor Evil's cat now? Are you hairless top to bottom? Uh, do you want to say that <laughs> for No. I do I am due for a I am due
0: for a full body shave. I may go in for a full body shave here sometime. <laughs> Why not? What the hell? Shave it up. Thanks, brother. You're the best. You're my man, Timmy Doyle. I'm telling you, we're gonna win some money and we got some laughs. That's what the greatest thing about Timmy D is. He's gonna give you the greatest information and you're gonna laugh like hell the whole time. And if you wanna follow somebody, Chicago Joe, his son. Joe, is an inspiration to literally everybody. I'm telling you right now, Chicago Joe on Twitter deserves a follow. If, if, if you want to feel good about a young kid, I mean, just fighting like hell every day, man. Serious business. Chicago Joe, uh, and only Timmy D would name his son, Chicago Joe, because that's who Timmy D is. But Timmy D and Chicago Joe, man, uh, I want to make sure I have the Twitter handle right. But just look it up on Twitter. Chicago Joe's Timmy D's son, and he is absolutely fantastic. Uh, and Timmy D, you're just going to laugh, man. When you, when you hang with Timmy D, you're going to know some stuff, you're going to learn some stuff, you're going to bet on some stuff, and you're going to laugh your you-know-what's off. All right, that's it. I am taking because Timmy D said it's an aberration. We're taking the Grizzlies tonight. That's our big fade. If Timmy says it, I am saying it, and you know what? At the end of the day, uh, our toes are going to be tapping. I'm on a bit of a heater, ladies and gentlemen. I did take OG Nobe. I lost a couple yesterday, but I bet enough on OG to overcome it. We made just a little bit, but we overcame. So there's your fades. Take the Grizzlies tonight. I certainly am. And I'm going to look at taking Trey Young on a bounce back over whatever number it is. Thanks to Timmy. Thanks to my friend. Teddy Greenstein, quarterbackdads.com, great book. Dylan, Ryan, you got Davey. You guys are awesome. We will talk to you again tomorrow. Uh, Allison Williams is going to join us.
1: Doc, it's out!